Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, the only longest running, highest quality, and best acted Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast. Every week we're coming at you with an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and behind the scenes stories of how the episode is put together and all the lore you could ever shake a stick at. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant Services at Paramount, and with me as always is my life partner Brandon Hobbs. How are we doing today? Brandon. Oh, Mitch. Well, I'm doing okay. Um, you know, there are some days like today where you, you, you get out of bed and you kind of wonder, why am I doing this? Yes. Right? But, uh, you know, then I think of our thousands of fans. Tens of thousands, really. Tens of thousands, you know, just as many Patreon subscriptions. Mm, mm. Um, the, the t-shirts, you know, all, all of the good that we're doing for the community. And I, I remember, you know, why we started doing this in the first place. Yeah, exactly. The, um, the t-shirt sales alone were enough to fund this brand new studio that we're recording in. Yes. Yes. So there's many ensigns that we have to thank. Um, they know who they are, so I won't really bother, but. It's it's all possible thanks to you listening to this. Mm-hmm. They, you yeah, make so, it happen. So thank you. You make it happen. Ensigns run the world. You make it so. That's a t-shirt. Yeah, it's a t-shirt. Look for that um, on the <laughs> store in the coming weeks. Yeah, what is our store? Is it is it uh, Etsy? No, it's uh, Teespring. Ah, Teespring. I see, I see. Yeah. Uh, teespring.readyourroom.net Write that down, you guys listening to this at home, so you can get yep. your latest set phasers to fun t-shirt. Yep, yep. Pencil it into your Rolodex. Make sure you don't lose it. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, thank you to, to the many ensigns out there. Um, and even, even the, the lieutenants of the world. The commander, lieutenant mm-hmm. commanders. So, today, before we get into our very special episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, we have an, a very specialer question of the week from a fan. Mm-hmm. And this week's question of the week comes from Mads, I hope I'm saying that right, Mads, in um, South Africa. I hope I'm saying that right. Africa? And um, Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Mads asks, uh, what are your thoughts on the controversial Admiral Jennings? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, Oh, no. Why didn't we see more of him after season three? Thank you for everything you do. Uh, Ready your ensign out. And uh, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, which is weird in a way because it comes up very, very often at conventions and such. So it's something I'm used to being asked. However, I have no 
lack of interest in it. There's some topics where people ask you, and you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. No, I can talk about this for a very, very long time, and I'll have to kind of mm -hmm. stifle myself because we have a show to do, but um, yes, Admiral Jennings. So I love this character. Uh, to me, this character was unlike really anyone else that we, we, we wrote into the show, any of the other guest characters. And despite only being in a few episodes, I, I think he's very, very memorable. Particularly his relationship with Wesley. Like, there was this weird kind of tension, I suppose, between their their mentor-mentee relationship that was the, the pretext to everything, and on the other end, like, the more subtle, dark grooming that was going on uh, between the two. Um, it was a much darker, more real dynamic than we really ever had between two characters on the show before, where everything else up until that point had been more idealistic. But, um, to cut a long story short, why didn't we see him uh, after a couple seasons? It's mostly, you know, you, you get enough people to write letters about something, and uh, you know, they're going to end up getting their way. People just didn't take very kindly to this you know, older man, younger boy, uh, mm -hmm. dark relationship on on network television, which is a shame. I mean, it's it's so um, it's so real. It's it's reflective of you know a lot of things that actually happen. A lot a lot of the way life kind of works, right? Uh, especially in our circles. Well, that's the thing. When this comes out of Hollywood, right? Like this this show didn't just spring into existence. It was made in Hollywood, and it was made by people who either have first or second-hand experience with this kind of thing, and it's their way of speaking out. But what people see it as, from an audience perspective, is just, oh, that's kind of gross or icky. Um, right, right. They don't They don't get how, A, this is shedding light on something, and B, this is very cathartic for the people involved. I mean, especially Will Wheaton. Um, right. Will really was struck when he saw these scripts because this was his giving him a voice to to bring this to a, a the attention of a wider audience and what did they do they just slapped it down and said we don't want to see this we don't really care about your mm -hmm. problems mm -hmm. yeah so, hey, go ahead oh i wasn't gonna say anything oh well i was just gonna say that it's like yeah admiral <laughs> admiral jennings controversial character because he's not really written to be all that likable or relatable because you know he's doing these seedy things but that's not in my mind that's not justification for removing an element from a show just because it makes you a little bit uncomfortable as long as it has a, a point to make and this character certainly did um sure it's it's really just a failure on the audience's part to really think critically about about anything which i mean it is star trek so Right. Understandable. Yeah. It's still disappointing, though. Um, mm -hmm. Because when your audience fails to connect with um, a philosophical debate about the nature of what what makes something a life, uh, is data alive, you know, whatever. They don't really engage with that. It's disappointing and embarrassing, an embarrassing yes. look for them. However, it's mm -hmm. not all that consequential. However, when they fail to connect with the very real exploitation of uh, children, minors, 
um, that's a lot more upsetting and a lot harder to swallow. Right. Yeah. It's it's basically kind of you know shoving your head into the sand and pretending it doesn't exist. Um, and I guess it was just too too much of a reminder for the audience that um, you know by buying their little Star Trek phasers and their Spock ears that they were kind of silently allowing this to happen. Yeah, I buy that. The yeah. it it goes beyond a, a simple ignorance, and is more of uh, more malicious in in nature. The tacit approval of um, exploitation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, as as homosexuals ourselves, um, this this really struck a chord with us as well. Right. You know? Right. So. It, it, it was a disappointment. Yeah, I think that um, the this whole like mentor mentee relationship is a is a cornerstone of homosexual culture. Yeah. So to see it uh, not land, I I could I can count the ways it's frustrating. So uh, mm-hmm. we don't have that much time. Yeah, that uh <laughs> that's more for our politics podcast yeah uh the rare times that um our politics podcast intersects with the the trek podcasts can, right, can you give right. me a favor and um just plug the uh politics podcast real quick you do oh, the, yeah sure you, you, do the, um, you do the spot so much better than i do right yeah so it's called the um the new comrade um we discuss you know politics um we discuss communist literature um of course mitch and i come from a a, a long line of um uh, socialist and communist thought we, we we got into it in in hollywood of course um back in our 20s um i forgot who it was who who, who handed us the manifesto i think ah. it was lavar actually yeah okay yeah 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 yeah, now now that you mention it, yeah, and you know, we'd we'd start by having these little meetings, these little uh, little roundtables, just just a few of us on the team, and um, you know, we really really got into it, uh, you and me, Mitch, and um, yeah, ultimately, it's about it's about guiding the country to what we think is a better tomorrow, you know? right? And um, that that uh, generally has to do with. Um, with taking things away from people who we think don't deserve it. And uh, I feel pretty qualified to make that yeah. judgment. And mm-hmm. um, hopefully you guys put your trust in us and uh, just follow kind of what where we direct you to go. Which is yeah, yeah. very much appreciated from the Ensigns. And, you know, that's what we do here as well. So Indeed, indeed. Uh, it, it, it's, it, shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't take too much, too much learning... You know, uh, going from one pa- uh, podcast to the other. Well, that's just kind of what podcasts are, right? It's letting somebody else um, give you some amount of direction and guidance in life that you just can't get on your own. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, a lot of the time, um, a lot of the time what podcasts are good for, too, is, you know, you can, as an audience member, watch a podcast um, and then you can post on the internet about whatever niche topic the podcast just brought up, uh, as if it was kind of your own thought. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, which is which is a real real trip. Do you remember? I, I know lots of people love that. Do you remember back in, um, you know, our heyday of going to parties in Hollywood? 
and it was the biggest social faux pas whenever two women uh, wore the same dress, for example. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, in the new age, uh, these days, it's more about um, if two people have listened to the same podcast and bring up the same topic, it's quite embarrassing for <laughs> both of them. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. <laughs> That's a good analogy. So it, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's that's why it's good to kind of um, have a pulse on all kinds of different podcasts. If you guys, so that no one can really tell what you listen to. Mm. If you guys want some free advice, um, I would recommend playing ignorant. So if you know you're out at your next social gathering, your socially distanced gathering, um, mm -hmm. and you're you're talking about Admiral Jennings, and someone says, "Oh, did you?" Uh, listen to the radio room this week just just say no just just right. just what's that the readier room no i only know the radio yeah, room. Yeah. <laughs> they can't prove it exactly and then they will think that uh that was your thought and yeah you'll, you'll they, they're, they're gonna feel like a big nerd too exactly because they'll be oh no it's nothing i'm uh, right no, right i don't know what you're, there's no readier no they'll start sweating and... right and then you can have a laugh at their expanse expanse right. expense um or expanse depending on how fat they are yeah yeah that's true <laughs> that is true um which if they're listening to the readier room then yeah the chances are a good chance they're out there yeah we we did the polls and the average bmi of our listening fan base is is quite quite a high number yeah um although we did we did compare results with our friends over at the orb that's true and um we, we got about the same, about the same results. Well, the thing about so, the orb being a spherical entity is that it attracts oh, that shape. Yeah, people of, gravitate towards the name. Yeah. So uh, we didn't account for that in our in our thesis. You know, I'm I'm a hundred percent certain that if we pulled the um, the ladies of Trek listening fan base, that mm -hmm. our fan base would would be slimmer by a factor of ten at least. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that. I think ultimately, no matter no matter how you cut it, um, that is just the fan base of of Trek, which is fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, All I know we, we is do that support. when when I go to buy um, Picard cosplay outfits, I can only find the sizes of small and medium, and everything else is sold out. Right. Right. Yeah. You, um, which is fine for us because that's true. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many X's you can put in front of an L. Yeah, I don't think I, I really want to know. It, I mean, it looks kind of illicit, right? I, I, the only time I ever buy something that has three X's in it, I, I'm wearing like a trench coat and sunglasses. <laughs> um, all I know is once you get past XL, it's uh, it's it's madness. It, indeed you, you, you might as well be wearing a trash bag it's kind of like buying a tent to go camping yeah sort of you should just do that and then go live in the woods so no one has to see you you see the thing about camping is that it's a lot of fun but way too much work to ever realistically do well that's not true you're you're just high maintenance mitch well you know i need i need everything to be temperature controlled i need to make sure there's a solid uh three meter radius where there's no insects 
Well, yeah. So, you know, they, they have stuff for that now. They have like new technologies. I mean, have you ever been in a, in a, in a trailer, you know, pull the old trailer out to the campsite and, um, so for somebody like me who has all these paradoxically high standard rules, I don't think that using a trailer qualifies as camping. Right. And that is true. That's, that's an issue where you're really stretching the definition of kind of like, uh, I guess camping in general, but it's where, where does camping end? Um, when you do not have to construct the thing that you're sleeping in. That that's where camping ends. I guess it's very similar. I, I don't really argue with that. It's very similar to so people like oh I love camping. I got my my RV my camping car, and um, I go out and just sleep in it. That is very yeah. similar to people like oh yeah I love coffee, and then they go buy like um like a macchiato whatever right. From Which Star- is completely degenerate. Exactly. It's just let's just inject a bunch of sugar straight into your veins. But um, you know, when when you're city slickers like us, sometimes you just you you want to go out into the wilderness, um, and it doesn't really matter how you're sleeping. You know, it's just a matter of kind of waking up in the morning and seeing that there's no one really around you. The you know? key, what I, what I like to do is to drive out into the woods and just kind of hang out until about 11 p.m. Drive home and then drive back at 5 a.m. and uh, mm-hmm. pretend I slept there. That's a pretty good idea, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm partial to, of course, um, you know you know this, obviously, um, setting up camp in front of Mount Fuji. Yes. Um, getting my little grill out, cooking my meat on it, um, kicking back, reading a book. You know, very comfy. But by myself, of course. Of course, of course. I I've, yeah. tr- I've tried to tag along before, but I I've been rebuffed. Right. The thing about Mount Fuji is that I like to call him Mister Fuji. Right. Just as a as a translation of of his name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So yes, is very polite mountain. Yeah. Um. You you want to make sure you're being respectful. Always. Always. Fuji. Always. Always. So. I want to close by saying that um, to other people out there like me who are fans of Admiral Jennings, I don't want to say too much, but keep watching the stars on Picard Season 2. Mm-hmm. You might and you know something you'll enjoy. This is, uh, this is in, in no small part thanks to you, of course. Um, mm. I know... Having known you for decades now, Jennings was kind of the the first thing you talk about in the morning and the last thing you talk about at night. I had to call I, in I know, a lot of favors. Mm-hmm. I, I I know your love for this character, um, and it it makes me happy finally getting to see what I guess became our dream come back to life um, in in this way, and I think the audience is gonna love it. Yeah, I remember um, the actor who played Jennings showed up to set, and um, I patted him on the back, and I'm like, let the legend come back to life. Yes. And he went off to to film his scenes. Um, Very exciting times that we live in. Mm Mm-hmm. Extremely Mm -hmm. exciting. Lots of big changes, lots of new things. Ch-ch-changes. Anyway, thank you, Mads, for the question. Um, if you guys at home have a question that you want us to answer on a weekly basis, then you can email them to us. 
theradioroom at gmail.com. That's with a capital T, a capital R, and another capital R. Or you can DM us on Twitter at theradioroom. So make sure you're spelling, spelling readier correctly. There's a duplicate imposter account running around that we can't quite get banned yet. But just make yeah. sure that your, your spelling is correct. And uh, we'll answer your question if it's good. All right. So. This week, we're talking about an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. This episode is quiet as a whisper. Silent as a whisper? Quiet as a whisper. Loud as a whisper. Loud as a... God, it was the opposite. Loud as a whisper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, loud as a whisper. Um, the uh, obligatory um, disability episode, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, this was... Uh, Basically, another piece of genius from the old mailroom. Hmm. Uh, you know, much in the vein of our uh, our Sherlock episodes, we we had this guy, um, which you know, obviously our our audience will know from watching this episode, um, Howie Sego, who, for God, nearly since the the inception of the show, um, was sending us mail just relentlessly uh, about how no character on the show had any like real disabilities. And, you know, I don't want to really make this judgment myself because, I mean, look, you got Jordy's blindness, uh, which is very real. Picard's baldness, Troy being a woman. I mean, these are all things you notice immediately. Um, and, and obviously, they color the perception of the characters that were written to interact with them. I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's all out there. So I don't know where he gets off uh, making that, that assertion. But um, what I guess it comes down to, though, is... Uh, the little babies over the NAD felt like they deserved uh, more explicit representation. Yeah, um, there was no subtlety to how it was to the representation in this episode. Explicit's no, the right no. way to to put it. Right, and so so you know you had the producers, the suits, and they don't really know anything. They they see this stuff and they are basically looking down the barrel of a disastrous media campaign. And so it's it's do we just air an episode about a deaf guy just just to get this off our backs and and um yeah that's that's what we did and you know like i'm not afraid to say this because they can't even hear me right now well the thing about an episode with a deaf actor or i'm sorry a deaf character is that you you kind of put somebody on easy street it ended up being sego himself but when mm-hmm. we when we initially were putting out you know the casting call for this our mm-hmm. our casting director was an absolute moron and <laughs> advertised a part for a deaf mute character and <laughs> when you're in the business everybody knows what a boon this is what i don't have to talk i don't have to act with my voice and <laughs> right, tons right. of people just knocking down our door to to get the role absolutely mm-hmm. ridiculous and you know, it makes sense. I get it. I don't blame them. I blame the casting director again for the for the advertisement he put out for the fucking role. But um, the thing about it is that it it did end up panning out that way. Uh, Riva is the name of the character, and Riva has the best performance of any guest actor we have ever had or would have since then. All because yeah, he doesn't have to say anything. No, he doesn't. I, he he kind of just stands there and flails his arms around. Right. Um makes an angry face here and there yeah it's uh honestly it's it's 
inspiring. Yeah, I think he won an Emmy that year. As he should have. As right. he should have. Um, so how, how did you feel about this episode in general? Um, that's a good question. I... That's a good question. <laughs> I I can go first if you want. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't. I I must go first. My ego won't let me go second. Um, I thought it was fine. I can't say I was actively engaged through the entire thing, but there was no point of it that was insulting to me or my intelligence, like so many other episodes are. Right. Um, right. and at this point, you know, I'll mark chalk that up as the positive that it is um the idea of a conflict mediator who has a fundamentally different form of communication is an interesting idea um now i wish that the conflict itself had been given a little more um attention yes. Because it, it just seems like incredibly arbitrary and a little bit um, it, I don't immature might be the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's like two two animals are fighting and someone walks by and picks up a cat and just places it in its in its uh, box and it's like all right, this conflict has been mediated. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a good uh, good description of it. Yes. But overall, I I think it was fine. I would give this, like, I don't know, grading on a curve for where we are in the show, I'd give this, like, a 6 out of 10. How did yeah. you feel about it? Yeah, I, I'd probably say the same thing. Um, lots of time spent on kind of stupid stuff. As usual, we're still pretty clumsy in the way that, that conflicts pan out and uh, the way these episodes are structured, really. But... At its core, it's got a cool idea, and I like the idea of an episode centered on uh, mediation, and that there's this this famous mediator. I mean, not really something that you consider in in the 21st century um, as kind of a, a pathway to celebrity, hmm. but you ha you have this you have this mediator who basically everyone knows because he's so good at at um, you know bringing about these these peaceful conclusions um to these conflicts and i think following something like that in general is just a, a really cool idea well it's um, it's it's nice because that gels really well with our idea of the federation and society at this time where yes within itself war is kind of um is entirely obsolete and it's only with, yeah. with outside forces that we see uh, armed conflict so the idea of a conflict mediator being such uh, a high status person makes a lot of sense for a society that um has completely embraced peace mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely so yeah um i i would say i agree with you we're probably going to get into the nitty-gritty of the weird stuff that happens but no we're just going to end the episode here <laughs> i mean we might as well <laughs> what is there to talk about um we 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 start off the episode um with we say it <laughs> just say it what i say what? it i don't i think i know what you're going to say it. just say it i i don't i don't think you know what i'm going to say but but um riker does this thing okay where he rubs his beard with his index finger 
Did you not... notice this? No, I didn't, but that's also good. I was hoping that that that, that was what you were thinking about, too, but I, I guess I, not. Tell me what you were thinking about. I was thinking about the card saying cluck, cluck, cluck. <laughs> like a chicken. <laughs> Because Riker, Riker says something to Picard, something slightly right. nagging, and Picard's yes. response is cluck, cluck, cluck. Right, right, right. You're, you're, you're being a what does he call him? A hen, a mother hen. Yeah. <laughs> you're being a mother hen. What? A, yeah. What a weird exchange. They never talk like that to each other. No, Picard is 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 never like petty or um, snarky. I guess. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It's snark. It's like, oh God, Picard, I'm sorry. I'm trying to do my fucking job. I'm all, I'm, right. It's I'm only second in command. I guess I'll just you know leave you to slump down in your chair and steer us all into death, asshole. <laughs> we 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 also have a choice line from from Riker, um, where he says, "Our job is not to police the galaxies," um, which. Any any diligent fan will know that's basically quoted from the Trek Bible, and that um, that rule was basically broken last season, right? So as they policed uh, the galaxy several times. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a fun little callback. Maybe they were trying to reestablish uh, the rule. Yeah, but then they would go on to police the galaxy. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, not in this episode, but just in the future. It's difficult right. to make threats, antagonists, that don't involve the Enterprise playing intergalactic police. Or I guess just intragalactic police. I suppose so. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I get that you don't want them, the, the Enterprise, to be this group of superheroes that goes around putting down evil all the time. But it's a difficult rule to keep. Because it involves a lot of um, tacit... I say tacit a lot. It involves a lot of um, approval of of evil things. It's like where you see somebody who's doing something a bit um, morally off, but you can't just stop them because you don't really have cause to. And that's the thing. I mean, it, it hinges on this this idea that that morality is subjective, where it's like, yeah, I mean, if if you look at it from the point of view of like some omniscient god, maybe that's true. But as human beings, as as you know, these primitive thinking things that we are, we can't really live without some kind of objective morality. Well, I uh, I like the idea of the moral subject or moral relativity. That I would uh, agree. That, that it has, and sometimes it works really well. I really like that episode with, um, we watched it recently, the the two planets that are involved in, like, a drug drug trade dealer yeah, yeah, yeah. relationship. Yeah, you like that, I remember. Right, and that one hits the, that moral relativism uh, really well, in that Picard sees what's going on, he adheres to Federation regulations, and... He doesn't step in to stop it, but he does, by inaction, create a chain of events that eventually will collapse the system, mm. which is a great recognition of the, again, moral relativism code that they live by, while also centering things around the audience's uh, 
moral sensibilities in that, okay, well, this won't be going on forever. Uh, our heroes aren't happy about it, and they do what they can to stop it, even though um, it's going to lead to more suffering that they couldn't stop it earlier based on their moral code. Sure. Yeah, that's just more sure. interesting and, and to me than, than clear, they're evil, we're going to stop them. Well, right, right, and but that's that's the thing is that when when this subjectivity comes into play, it's it's always centered around this idea of the prime directive, where if if a character is making moral decisions outside the context of that objective, they tend to be a little more, you know, in line with with what you would expect, and that does happen in Star Trek, where you know there there is this idea of good and evil to some degree. Um. But if if it were always, uh, always an issue of the prime directive, then every episode would be them getting into the middle of a conflict and saying we can't do anything at all, you know. Yeah, well, we've talked about how the prime directive is misapplied, and I think that happens very, very often. Um, yeah, if you're dealing with a space-faring society, then the prime directive doesn't matter. That's not what it's designed to cover. And very often, characters are quoted as referring to the Prime Directive at inappropriate times. So, you can, ha you can write stories where the Enterprise crew encounters another society, whether in space or on their home planet, and their moral response is not bound by the Prime Directive. What I'm getting at is that the problem with the stories... And their use of morality is not the moral code that the characters are written to have, but rather just weak writing in general. And mm -hmm. when you have weak writers dealing with a pretty nuanced um, code that the main characters have, it's very difficult to execute well. But I don't think that's a problem with the code itself. I just wish it could have been handled better more frequently. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. But I mean, as you said, there there are those 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 episodes where they kind of do need to be the quote police. Mm. Yes, you, you it's, can't... it's not easy to to just completely relinquish that. Certain pills are easier to swallow than others. For example, if there was just a culture that went around obliterating planets or destroying entire cities on their planet wantonly it's a lot more difficult to watch picard see this and then to say well there's nothing we can do um because you know it involves the loss of thousands and thousands of lives very actively and immediately it's abiding by the same code but as the audience it's more difficult to accept that than something like the 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 drug trade episode which ostensibly had everybody surviving, um, even under the current system. It was just a matter of um, mm -hmm. financial exploitation. Yeah, they you know they they even came back later for the novels. So right. Yeah. So so we 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 know we know that ended happily, or actually I think it didn't. But um, <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> Nobody read the case. novel. Yeah. yeah but any um, it's. The severity of the crime they're policing matters. And right, right. I think the writers would have done well to just steer clear of these 
very, very um, obscenely clear uh, cases of evil. And sure. Where, sure. Where the Federation, where the Enterprise's hands are tied. Well, I, I know we got a lot of we got a lot of mail about um, the the episode where um, the the Enterprise had those two delegates on, right? And it turns out one of them ate meat. Right. Right. And we, we got a lot of mail about how how ridiculous it was that um, the the Enterprise didn't execute um, the, the, that entire group of delegates from that race for eating meat. Um, a lot of mail. Well, you know, the Enterprise is known for two things. Keeping um, peace in their, uh, um, you know, their space, wherever they inhabit, and public executions. Yeah, yeah. Well, y- you know, it, it was... Um... It was kind of a kind of a big offense, you know. Uh, when it comes to you know the West Coast, California, you know this is this is this is where where uh, vegetarianism began, you know. Mm. So that kind of social commentary on things that run afoul in our society of the Federation's uh, way of life are pretty clearly meant to be looked down on. But in any case, I did not mean to go on a tangent that probably added 20 minutes to our runtime. It's okay. We never really go on tangents. It's nice to have one uh, once in a while. <laughs> um, so we're talking about where, where um, we? Loud as a Whisper. Um, Quiet I wanna... as a Whisper. What? Quiet as a Whisper. Really? Yeah. God damn. So uh, I think this episode has the worst cut to the opening of all time dude yes <laughs> <laughs> i wrote that down what the hell was that cut to opening what what, what is it again they land on the planet see nothing and then cut <laughs> there's like there might be a sting like a little musical sting maybe but apropos of nothing right yes it just cuts yeah yeah i was so vexed when i saw this this is the kind of thing you don't remember 20, 30, 40 years later, whatever it is. Um, right. Just, what a bizarre... Because it's written into the scripts um, where the, the cuts are for um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. commercial and such. So, while writing, they knew that this would happen here. It's just so strange. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really odd. Um, and so, so, this is... They land on the planet to meet Reva, right? Right. And, um... So Troy's only use this episode is just to be sexualized, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, this is an episode of TNG, so that's kind of par for the course. Yeah. When did uh, she get that that new outfit? Because I think I've been kind of overlooking it. I think that was episode one of this season. Of this season? Yeah, she she started uh, putting her hair down. Right. You can really tell um, just how, how offended... The producers were by her broad shoulders. Very broad shoulders. Yeah, extremely broad. So, you know, we had, we had to slip her into something skin tight to show off a little hip she had. I think a use of a corset was involved. It had to have been. Produced some amount of hip ratio out of uh, um, Arena Certus. Yeah. So... 
so Reva only speaks to to Troy with his his libido. Right. Right, which is kind of something you wouldn't notice until you're looking for it or you've seen the episode before and you're more familiar with these avatars that he has to because mm-hmm. each one conveys a different element of his personality, different emotions. Um and by using only the libido Reva doesn't interact with Troy with like any of his more emotional faculties, um, his creativity or his sympathy or his empathy. It's just libido. And the character, the, the avatar himself says, I am the libido. So it's very, very clear. Right. So if I were you in the audience, I would go back and watch this episode with an eye to what part of Reva speaks to which characters. And there's some interesting details about how Riva views the crew that are revealed mm-hmm. in that way. And I'll leave those to, yeah. to to the listener to find out on their own, but Yeah. You're right. It's 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 all it's all very subtle. It's all mm-hmm. very Which if I had to describe uh TNG in a or word something. Uh, hmm? Um I'm sorry, could you say that one more time? Wait, 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 say what one more time now? Uh, I think I think the recording screwed up. I missed a little bit of what you were just saying. Oh, oh, I said I said it's it's like a Star Trek version of reading reading Flat World. Indeed, Very it subtle. is. Indeed, it is. Um, lots, lots of uh, fun little subtleties that you, you don't really notice uh, the first time through. Um, you know, th- thanks to thanks to these these aspects of Reva's. So the thing is that with Riva, they spend so much time introducing uh, the three translators that he has, interpreters. And Mm -hmm. then there's a whole bunch more time spent on introducing them to the cast, the crew. And this scene goes on for so long. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, It's bizarre how long it takes. It's annoying. It's annoying. The t- the degree to which they basically stand up there on their little pedestal um, and tell you exactly what they're supposed to represent. Yes. Yeah, oh my god. It, um, it's so on the nose. I... <laughs> it is. And I feel like we say that every episode, something is on the nose. But it literally is the case that with Star Trek, everything is on the nose. Well, I don't understand why it has to be that way. We already referenced the libido. And the fact that a character says, I am the libido. I am here yes. for the sexual urges and the passion. It's like, <laughs> thanks, I had no idea what the libido was. Thank you for making that clear. <laughs> the other two were just as bad. Oh, certainly, um, certainly. Uh, the one He calls himself the scholar. He's like uh, creativity and knowledge and such. And what, right, was, what, was right. the, what was the woman's title? I forget. I forget. Well, she's a white woman, so probably the empath. Um. <laughs> John Delancey's wife. Oh, wait, no, I, um, I do have it written down here. Harmony. 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 But you're right, that is John Delancey's wife. That's that is John Delancey's wife, and, you know, I, I guess I guess we're going to have to go on another tangent real quick because of mm. that. Well, um, I do enjoy Delancey-adjacent tangents. Yeah, uh, I mean, they... Our our most popular episodes are Delancey episodes, so 
Yeah, it's um, fun fun to see the viewer numbers on those. Just like triple yeah. every other episode. Right, right. Because you know he he is a character, um, and here in this season is kind of when you start to see his his influence grow on the series. Hmm. Um. So, God, where to start? Um. One day, one day, uh, we, we were doing a table read for this this episode, right? Um, and he shows up out of nowhere, um, just interrupts the read, storms right through the door, <laughs> stands right in front of Jean and says, um, well, more like screams, you will hire my wife. Um, and I mean, you remember this. We were all kind of just stunned. As an aside, no, you, anybody out there, you don't want John Delancey screaming at you over random. No. He's a very, no. very fierce individual with a lot yeah. of presence <laughs> especially with that proximity um yes it was it was i would go so far as to say i was scared i mean um, he's just right in your face he's he's kind of getting some spittle on you his breath always smells like sausages it's very yeah, very yeah, intense yeah very weird um but yeah so so you know he yells again you know you will hire my wife and um i think it was maurice right who Maurice. you know he tries to explain to him you know we'd already done the casting you know this is how t- you know tv works um and <laughs> delancey just responds well you know fine i guess i'm not playing q then guess i'm just not going to be q anymore and you know we couldn't have that well this this um, was the problem once we once we acquiesced here then john delancey knew he had this trump card to get anything that was it yeah so so from here on out it was basically just anything goes with this guy but you know, Gene, he he whips his head around the room and he, he points at this girl and, you know, she was a complete, like, no name. I don't think, I don't think she did anything. Now, this is going to be your big break. But... Yeah, yeah, so much for that. Uh, so, um, you know, Gene points to her and, and he, he has security escort her out and she's crying and um, suddenly, suddenly Marnie, Marnie, John Delancey's wife, um, she's, she's got the job and... Uh, for nearly all of filming, Delancey would stand up next to the director's wheelchair, and, and he just, every time his wife was delivering her lines, he would just pace back and forth, just cursing to himself. Um, and I could never really make out what he was saying, but every now and then, he would he would yell cut on his own, and the action would stop. <laughs> and he'd go up to his wife, and he'd whisper something in her ear, and she would just turn completely white. Well, I guess the, um, that's that's the benefit of living with John. You get these private acting lessons from one of the greats. Uh, well, you do, and and he was, I mean, he was kind of like at the top of his craft. So hard to blame him. Yeah, it's and, um, kind of, um, she became, I don't know, his protege. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing uh, to see the performance that she turned in and, and to know how much of that is was due to probably all the practice that she got in at home definitely um, definitely it's amazing um i know i know she she did a lot of physical training as well um at home for this role because I, I every now and then you remember she'd come in and she'd have like a like a bruise on her arm or um oh yeah I, or like on her face sometimes you say oh you know i was i fell i was trying to do like stunt work you know, like like a, a flip or something yeah um, so, so Delancey definitely had her doing a lot, um, a lot for this role and it did turn out good. 
Um, and when one of the one of the I guess more mysterious things about um, his activity, I guess, in the production of this episode was when he saw the final edit of the episode, you know, the scene where she gets disintegrated, mm. um, he must have had the boys play it back several dozen times. Because um, he, he would just double over in laughter, just just exclaiming how perfect the scene was. There was something he loved about that disintegration scene. And it makes you wonder exactly what he was going for when he walked into that, that table read. Yeah, it's... We always say that John works in mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. And it's true. He's a very mysterious man. I will say that he's, he was not the only one um, captivated by that skeleton scene. Mm -hmm. do, do you know where in Hollywood there is an homage to that scene? Can't say I do. So... I, I can't blame you if you haven't seen this movie. It's like, why would you? But in the early 2000s, I believe they released a film adaptation of the Spider-Man comic book. Mm -hmm. And in that movie, there's a scene where three people are turned to skeletons in the blink of an eye. And it's, it's almost mm -hmm. the exact same shot. Um, they like, they kind of recoil back. They turn to skeletons and then the bones fall down. Um, it's a very, very direct visual homage to TNG. That and, is uncanny. Yeah, and it's in a major motion picture. Like that was a high budget, heavily marketed, highly successful film. Yeah, that was a. I remember my son wanted to go to that. Right, and it's always cool to me to see the effects our work has on the public zeitgeist, where because. Mm -hmm we made TNG, Spider-Man was a successful film. Yes. That's exactly how I would put it, yes. It's it's quite the domino effect. Mm -hmm. So it's it's um it's a domino effect of, of the butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. You know, we flapped yeah, they we flapped our wings other. back in the eighties and um in the early two thousands they made a film about a human spider. Rakes had his onion bagels, and the rest is history. Exactly. Um, you change one thing. You know, you change the onion bagels to an everything bagel, which has onions, but it also has other things. And um, who knows what would be different? Suddenly his testosterone levels are all off. Right, and without know? that he doesn't do the chair thing. And without the chair right. thing, people tune out of the show, and we don't get a season three. Right. And because there's right. no season three, there's no Admiral Jennings. And without any Admiral... It, Chain reactions goes on and on. All right. Well, let me stop you before you get too into Admiral Jennings again, Mitch. I, I, you I know have you love, to stop me. I know you love him, but we, we're going to be talking about him a lot more as um, as Picard starts kind of wrapping up and, and the audience gets to see it. So um, well, there, there will be time for that. Um, but let's 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 return to uh, we, we were discussing Reva's interpreters. Right, right, in as um, as normal volume as a whisper. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, um, and how just horribly disrespectful to the audience they really are. Oh, 
What do you mean? Well, well, I mean, like like we were saying, they, you know, they 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 announce exactly what they're for. There's no mystery left, or no no interpretation left up to the audience at all. Right. Which is strange that so much time is spent laying out explicitly who these people mm-hmm. are and what they're the facets of his personality that they represent. Right. When right. When, when they ultimately <laughs> end up dying. <laughs> As skeletons. Yes, and, and not only that, but they, they do nothing that one person couldn't have done. Yeah, that's true, too. It's one of those things that <laughs> was in the the conception phase. And like, oh, what if we did this? And get different people speaking for different parts of his personality. And someone's like, yeah, that sounds cool. And they have all these ideas floating around. And then whenever it comes time to actually write the script, that's kind of tossed by the wayside. Because you can you can imagine a lot of different versions of this script that um, use that well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And um, this just it, it could have been something that even came into play during the, uh, um, the, the the actual conflict mediation, but instead it's basically just to single out the the one avatar as the sex guy. Right. So we can have um, a lot of awkward Troy scenes. Well, that was originally going to be like taken to the nth degree. Star Trek yeah. reference. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the idea was that, and we filmed this scene, um, that Riva and Troy would make love and Libido would just kind of be there standing in the corner of the room watching to voice yes. Riva's you know, pleasure. Right. Um, but, you know, it's not that difficult to imagine why, but this episode just ended, ended up being cut by the censors. But you can check it out on the DVD. Highly recommend it. It's some of Rena's mm-hmm. best acting, I think, throughout the series. Yes, yes. Um, I've, I've watched it a few times myself. Uh, superb acting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's nice for the audience because they can kind of self-insert as uh, libido in that in that scene. Right, right. Um which, you know, is probably something they have a lot of experience with to begin with. So hmm. it's uh, it's a really great way to kind of get your first step into the Star Trek world. Agreed. Agreed. Although it's if you already have the DVD, then you're probably it's probably not your first step into the Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Trek into step. It's it's probably too late for you. Indeed. And if you're listening to this podcast. I got bad news. <laughs> so yeah, um, upon rewatch, I I did think that was where that was going um, in in the the aired episode as well uh, when when he brings the guy to their little date mm. um, and then just kind of dismisses him. So there was no reason to bring him in the first place, right? And somehow Troy can understand the sign language it, it's weird it's you this is solely in the episode as a setup for the for the conclusion yeah. but unto the situation itself it doesn't really make much sense the idea is like okay you can understand feelings even if you can't understand exact words and uh-huh. if, he, if he so truly believed that then then what is the point of bringing this cartel of uh, interpreters along with you everywhere. Um, <laughs> well, not everyone is a Betazoid. 
truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> if this that scene once once libido leaves, it is a nice showcase of of Sego's talents. Um, I believe before he had this role, he had a job as a shadow puppeteer, which really led to a lot of his sign language improvisation, which you uh, could you could yeah. barely tell it was improv. Which yeah, no, it it was extremely convincing. Contributed to his Emmy, I like to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I th- I think it's um. Honestly, while I was watching it, I thought it was very, very Japanese sign language adjacent. Hmm, that's a that's a very specific reference. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it was clearly influenced by, um, you know, kind of the Oriental arts in a lot of ways. I think. Hmm. Uh, really outstanding performance. I, I, I would agree with that. Um. He. Oh wait, no, no. Let me let me go back to this point. Why is Troy always so okay with getting railed by like Anything? whoever steps onto the ship? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I like how her sexual tension with Riker just kind of comes and goes as it's convenient. Sometimes, yeah, like, nothing happened this episode. <laughs> sometimes Riker is like banging down the door to to make sure that no hanky panky <laughs> goes on on her dates, and sometimes he just right. like, does not give a shit at all. <laughs> yeah, what's happening? Um, yes. All the all the while, Troy just never has any agency in all of this. She's just like, oh well, yeah. I guess I'm pregnant <laughs> now. Or, <laughs> yeah. well, I guess I have to get fucked. I mean, he asked me to. Uh, he he's he's eating dinner with me. Um, he's yeah, throwing I, his hands I, I guess the the, <laughs> the canon explanation would be that uh, um, Riker clearly has a side piece right now. So. Does he? Um, he's he's spinning plates, as they say. Ah, they they do say that. Yeah. So he's 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 practicing, um, you know, not really giving a shit. Good for Riker. Yeah. You know they say um, something about keys and locks. Yeah, like um, like what you put on a bagel, locks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they say that I'm keyed and you're locked. I thought it was the opposite. I don't think so, Mitch. Dang. Dang. <laughs> um. So I have um just a- non sequitur here. I have a, a few okay. a few things I want to point out. Um, of just kind of absurd dialogue moments in this episode. There's one where the warring factions are shooting at each other and Riva makes his appearance for the first time to them and he says, stop shooting. And they say, okay. And they stop. Yep. Like, okay, well, yep. mediating conflict, very easy job. Um, yep. There's another one where uh, they're trying to cure Riva of his condition and Pulaski makes her only appearance in the episode to come on the bridge and say, I can't do shit about this. And then she leaves, yep. which is can hilarious I, to me. Can I piggyback off of that? Sure. Um, when they beam down to the planet at the beginning of the episode, I think it's I think it's John Delancey's wife who says that Reva lacks the gene for hearing. Yes. Um, whereas when... When Pulaski talks about it, she's 
she's talking about it in the context of like his brain wouldn't understand audio signals at all. Um, which these seem to be at odds with each other because I took the liberty of looking up what the gene for hearing is. What a, what uh, a professional. It's, it's, it's just a, a, a genetic lack of the gene that, that just causes you to be unable to mechanically hear, I believe. I, I don't think it would have anything to do with not being able to, to process sound. Right. It's, it's not a, um, a neurological thing. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like it's just, it's, it's just, a a convenient, but horribly written way for Pulaski to not be able to do anything. The, the thing about that is I, it strikes me as completely unnecessary because I don't think anybody's in the audience, their reaction to deafness is just go to the doctor. <laughs> like, right. Nobody's going to expect, well, you know, there's a doctor on ship, so she can just cure his deafness, right? I mean, well, gra- so granted, doctors in the past have revived the dead, so I, I could be off base yes. here. There's that, and then it's also, you know, you have you have kind of the related blindness affliction, which in the future, in this future of Star Trek, has been somewhat fixed with with the mechanism. So, you know, you you have the related trio of of uh, blind, deaf, and dumb, right? Right. And they fix blindness. They don't seem to affix deafness. Or maybe they have, and it's just that this this brain thing that Pulaski's talking about is, again, a convenient way for for them to kind of sidestep the issue and, and continue along with the conflict as written. But um, have they fixed dumbness? Well, Riker's still farting around, so mm-hmm. who knows if they fixed it at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's Worf, too. Yeah, I. In fact, it might have gotten worse to the, to the point where people like Worf <laughs> are in such high positions. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that that's dumb. Um. Please, please continue. Um. There's the part where Picard grabs a deaf man by the face and screams, "Listen to me!" <laughs> right in his <laughs> face. <laughs> yep. Yep. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, and I think, I think that's it for my stupid dialogue moments from this episode. Yeah. Having already covered cluck, cluck, cluck. Yeah. Yeah. You, you picked up some good ones for sure. Always the high point of, of doing these, these shows for me. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, certainly, certainly. It's, it's, um, it's amazing how many of these get past the eyes of God, like a dozen people. Right. How do you feel about the um the parallel Jordy plot plot line in this episode? I struggle it's to call it a plot, a plot line. line. Yeah. It's 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 a random scene stuck like in the middle as a non sequitur um which you know as you know it does have a story behind it as as well. Um but it's it's just it, it shouldn't have even been in there. No, it shouldn't have. And there's so many things in the main plot that could have used more time that it, it does feel um, like it detracts from, from everything. Right. And I guess maybe if there was some kind of payoff going forward of like, oh, Jordy's going to get eyes. Yeah. Then then it would have been fine. But, you know, that, that could have been kind of relegated to its own episode as well. Yeah, people like to praise 
Jordy storylines for never really just being about him being blind. Which right. which is fair, and that's a good thing, but um I don't think you can have that praise while also acknowledging scenes like this, which are wholly unnecessary. Yeah, I mean I, I don't I don't think anyone's going to bat for this scene. Um, no. And ultimately it was just kind of like a makeup thing. Kind of a, a a bone thrown to to Gates, which I you know I guess while we're talking about it, I might as well go over it uh, because it, it it does relate to to a story that many people have heard, hmm. uh, a story that everyone knows, of course. The the Will Wheaton story, the Will Wheaton Bill Shatner story. If you um, haven't heard this, by the way, you're in for a treat. Yes, yes. Um, so. I'm I'm gonna truncate the actual story um, that everyone has heard from Will Wheaton. Let's just say he he at the same time we were filming um, many episodes at the beginning of season two. Um, there was filming for Star Trek V, the, the the film in the adjacent lot. Was that with, was that the with, Wrath of Khan? No, that was the 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 Wayward Home. Um, like a home that that goes to different places that's that's yeah that's gone like is is lost i see i i um have never seen these movies yeah uh i've i've seen them all a few times but bill shatner was directing this one and um you know as as will tells the story he was starstruck and he went over and um bill was i guess not as as kind as will would have liked him to be um but really, it, 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 so so Bill's response to, to meeting Will was, you know, I would never have a kid on my bridge, which, you know, as an assertion is completely understandable. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous that there is a child on the bridge. Right. It really takes you out of the, um, out of the story when you, when you begin to think uh, about out it. Out of the story, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's got to be like a breach of several protocols, don't you think? Well, it's... That's spoken to at the very beginning of the series where uh, Wesley comes on the bridge and Picard's like, get the fuck yeah. out of here. What are you doing? Right. And then all of a sudden it's okay, um, which which is, is mad. I mean, I mean, Bill was really just, just kind of just stating a fact, I think. So um, that's that. Uh, you know, Will was kind of left distraught after his hero, Bill, um, did not recognize him as as the star ensign that he thought he was. Um, but what Will doesn't tell everyone is that uh, his his little stunt kicked off what would be several weeks of torment from the original cast under Bill's orders um, to try to sabotage our production. Um, basically, what happened was was you know the 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 whole cast of TNG kind of came to bat for, for Will um, against, against Bill Shatner. Um, and, and, and he didn't like that. So a couple days after, after Will had gone over their set, they, um, they being the original, original cast snuck over to our lot um, right before filming. And they, they kidnapped Gates. Who at the time, in case anybody hasn't seen the past few episodes was playing the role of Pulaski. Right, she was all done up as Pulaski. And they brought her over to their lot, tied her up, 
in a chair, um, and, and every day they would mail us a tape of Bill performing in character with her. Um, using the word performing lightly, of course. Very traumatic tapes, but at the same time, I think they were submitted for an Emmy consideration. They were, and I, if, if you've ever seen, um, in, in vain of our, our superhero talk earlier, if you've ever seen The Dark Knight... Um, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Those tapes were actually based on this as well. They're, they're easily available on on the internet, maybe YouTube, but I if not, you can you can probably find them on Vimeo. They were on Live Leak, but I think that website has gone under. Yes, yes. I at, at any rate, you can probably find them. Um, but so the the the, the whole issue at the time was Gene refused to call the police. We begged. Um, yeah, well, you know, he was always threatening the producers with shutting down production of one or the other or both of, of these these Star Trek um, these Star Trek things, and you know, obviously we we couldn't have that because it would have been what are you going to do without Gene? It would have been an entire waste of money. We we wouldn't have been able to release anything. Um. So you know, he was he was adamant. He was like, you know, I'll I'll go talk to Bill. Um. And eventually we did get her back. We, we got Gates back, but by, by the time we did, we'd already f finished filming the majority of the show. Um, so Larry, the director, basically had to make this up to her last minute by adding this irrelevant scene with LeVar um, that we were just talking about. Um, and no one was really happy about it. Like, Larry didn't come back ever, and not just because of the wheelchair. Although that was a part um, of it. That was a part of it, as it usually is. But yeah, so that's that's why we have this kind of non sequitur, just kind of pasted in in there. Um, no real reason for it to be there. It's just so that Gates could get more screen time, which she earned. I like to think. Yeah, well, yeah, she she did put in the work for sure. She put in a lot of work, a lot of extracurricular work. There's a um, there's a, time. a lot of members of the cast where I kind of roll my eyes at throwing them a bone because of my misgivings with them or their work or whatever it is. But I always found Gates to be pretty um, agreeable, both in her output and her being, her personality. Yeah, and the way she looked. Yeah, yeah, I, I quite like the way she looked. Mm -hmm. Not the way she looks, but the way she looked. The way she looked, yes, yes. Yeah. She, she was a looker. Right, now she's just a look. Yeah. Very, very traumatic episode. Now that I'm thinking about it, a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Um, how, how how do you feel about the very end of the episode, where they just leave Riva on the planet for what is going to be months and months of work, and he's not he's not even made contact with the uh, the two warring nations yet he's just waiting for them and maybe they might just kill him who knows and the, the <laughs> enterprise is just pieces out <laughs> yes uh that would definitely breach protocol i would imagine didn't follow I, proto they did not appreciate that they, they did not follow proto it was very strange uh, and it struck me just as a incredibly bizarre moment um yes weird 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 very clearly they you know we just had to finish up the episode hmm. oh there is speaking of we just had to finish it quickly and who gives a shit 
Um, there's another moment I forgot to mention where Reva's alone in a room. Picard enters it, calls out to him with his voice, and then Reva turns to Picard, having heard his voice and knowing he's there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you know, maybe he heard the, or he felt the vibrations in the air. Oh, I see. I see. His uh, daredevil-esque sensory uh, right. powers. Again, superheroes. A lot of superhero influence in this this episode. We do need to discuss how he attends the meeting to kind of go over what the conflict is. And then within Picard's first two sentences, stands up and says, that's it, I'm done. Yes. Yes, we do need to talk about this. It's so good. Um, it's just such an asshole thing to do. And the characters even kind of acknowledge this. They're like, why did he come here to begin with? Uh, right. Why did he come to this meeting? And the, as a member of the audience, you're like, yeah, that's a really good question. Never never really explained, but yeah, why did he come to this meeting? Because the question becomes, why have this scene? Because it does nothing for his character, really. No, it doesn't. It, In fact, if anything, it kind of disingenuously reflects on his character because he's not really shown to be all that arrogant otherwise um he kind of right. he learns his lesson by the end of the story so he's open to new information um, but it's his, his lesson is so unrelated to arrogance and more related to complacency yes that's a that's a good point right and at the same time he's he is kind of indicated because what the briefing is going to tell him he doesn't miss any important information he he does know what's happening. Um, the only wrench in the plan is that there was a rogue agent, which the Enterprise couldn't have known about. Um, yes. So had that not been there, he would have just been fine. Right. <laughs> so um, I don't really yeah, know so there, what, what point they were trying to make. Yeah, it's it's just another scene that wastes the runtime on things that could have uh, been been spent, you know, better, I guess. Yeah, on, on um, anything. Not, not, not great. Not a, There's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> You're starting to hate this episode even more as we talk about it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. When we're a few days out from having watched it, and um, you know, I, I kind of remember. You know, here's the good parts. Here are the fun, silly parts that didn't quite work, but you know, were enjoyable to laugh at. And then talking to you oh yeah here are the absolutely head scratching moments that <laughs> really don't make any goddamn sense and that's that's when things begin to fall apart yeah yeah we, we are kind of reliving our trauma right now in many ways i um in my notes here i i saw that i made a typo and i i instead of writing sign language i wrote sight language which is a very interesting interpretation of what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, but, it, you know, it is kind of the same thing, isn't it? It is. It's language by sight. And, yeah. um, you know, not everything's a sign. So I like mine better. Take that. We, we, yeah, we should, we should start calling it that. American Sight Language, ASL. American Sight Language, yeah. You know, back in my day, ASL meant something really different. <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah 
yeah, I won't get into that too much here, but, um, you know, if, if you guys know at home, if you know what AIM is or Yahoo, then you might be on the same wavelength. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the lower the A, the better. Right. This actually dovetails really well with, um, again, our Admiral Jennings discussion. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, if you had this been a digital encounter and, you know, Jennings asks Wesley ASL, it would have uh, would have been a very natural, realistic storyline. It would have been. It would have been like a, like like a Seinfeld in the modern day kind of episode. Indeed, indeed. That's a very very good analogy. Mm-hmm. I thought so too. But um, keep your pants on with Admiral Jennings, Mitch. I know if I, I know if you I want to keep talking if about. If I him. blow my veritable load here, then we're not going to have any. Uh, material for our Picard 2 podcast. Right, right. In, in fact, we might just have a very special Admiral Jennings episode. I I could fill one. It, without, no offense to you, but without you and just me, I could talk for 45 an hour uh, about Admiral Jennings. There's a lot to I'm cover. sure you could. Well, maybe that's one for the Patreon. Ooh. For our patron ensigns. You can do a little little monologue. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll think about this. And, uh... Um, An oral history of Admiral Jennings. I like it. I like it a lot. I might, I, you know, I, as much as I want to do a monologue, I might just get the actor to come on with me. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's, uh... We got that in the oven now. It's percolating. It'll, we'll see what, if the yeast rises. The yeast also rises. Yes. Yes. All right, so I'm just going to say it. The best scene in this episode, as we mentioned before, is the skeleton scene. Um, that's the actual sure. the, the, the visual uh, climax of Trek as a franchise. <laughs> and I, I won't hear otherwise. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the best visual representation for it nowadays would be if they picked up the skeleton, skeletons and attached strings to him and started playing him like puppets yeah yeah maybe one of the skeletons starts tapping on his rib cage like a xylophone yeah <laughs> but but as of right now yes that is that is the if, if we're placing ourselves back in the 80s you're correct about that oh um, overall uh I don't know, I'm wrapping things up. Do you have anything else you want to say about this this episode? No, I think I think we kind of um it's it, there's really little to talk about with this one. There I is. Think. That's that's why we are this episode has been an hour and 20 minutes so far. Um, yeah. Uh it's it's a an okay episode. It's not super offensive. I would say watch, you know, if if uh if I were making one of those charts that tells people what to watch from what season. I guess this would be under the um watch if you kind of like star trek this this would be in my troy collection mm -hmm. uh the troy episodes i would put this right, right this in there um but no i can't i don't think i can recommend this one in good faith just in general again i i feel like i say this every week but there's only so much time in our lives and spending 45 minutes on um uh, still as a whisper is just not not a good investment right yeah, it's, it, you can yeah, skip. I suppose you know. In, alongside this episode, I'll, in the show notes, I'll post the time code for the skeleton scene. Go watch that, and uh, you can skip the rest. 
<laughs> yeah, that that is uh, that, that is that is the, the highlight for sure. Um, you, you you are correct, but um, yeah. So I I guess I guess that's uh, that's bright as a whisper. Right, right. Um, do you have a question for me? I, oh yeah, I do have a question. Hold on, let me let me uh, let me try to remember it here. Um, I'm just so okay. excited to to be asked the question. So, which actor in this episode, and this is gender neutral, by the way. Okay. Gender neutral actor. Which actor this episode? Does this include Embies? Yeah, I, of course. Embies okay. are valid. Okay, okay. Just had to make sure. Uh, which actor this episode would go on in the 2010s to create a YouTube series called Taste This? Um, a, a cooking channel um, where his, uh, his or her popular catchphrase was so lemony. Wow. I feel like this is a question coming to me from an alternate universe, an alternate timeline. Um, I know Brent has done some YouTube stuff, but I don't think it was a cooking show. I, I think he just did like a, like a curb uh inspired show yeah he, he he did a weird curb thing yeah um i know john delancey has done a lot of youtube content but he wasn't actually in this episode he was just around this episode right right oh geez um now if john is doing youtube content then he might let his wife also do youtube content which makes her a possibility i'm gonna gonna put a thumbtack in that and come back mm -hmm. to it i don't think it would be uh Sego because right yeah i howie is just kind of like a like a yokel name i don't know if he can really grasp youtube yeah he's also deaf right right so it wouldn't be like so lemony it'd be like no lemony right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um jesus libido guy looks like he'd be stuck in the 80s with that vaguely mullet haircut so it can't, mm -hmm. can't be him um who else is in? if it's one of the guys in the makeup playing the aliens i will never forgive you um, it's not one of the guys in the makeup playing the aliens okay good. it's it's someone with actual presence in the episode actual lines all right i can't think of a more compelling argument than um delancey's wife so i'm gonna say delancey's wife delancey's wife um it is actually libido really really mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. yeah his 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 youtube channel taste this um gets several hundred views per video wow several hundred um and he did drop it within like 20 videos now did he bill so. it himself as a guy who was on tng I don't think so. I don't think so. But but the way I found out about this mm -hmm. is from his memory alpha page where it is very clear that the actor himself wrote about his YouTube channel um, because it says his popular catchphrase so lemony with three exclamation points has become one of the fans favorite quotes. I've never I've never heard that from a fan. 
No, no. Uh, I haven't heard that from any of the 600 fans who have watched his cooking channel. Well, here's the thing. Um, on most uh, Wikipedia-inspired sites, you can see who is doing the editing, right? It logs the IP address. So we could... Oh. I, I believe that's true. Um, so we can do some investigative journalism you know, if we ever have some free time and uh, kind of nail this bastard. Yeah, let's dox him. Yeah. So, Lemony. Piece of shit. Speaking of, there's an author um, named Lemony Snicket. Lemony Snicket? Yes. That just sounds gross. Yes, it is. Um, and I wonder if the catchphrase was an allusion to to that author. Ah, like oh, that's very lemony. Like like how you say that's Kafka esque. Exactly, exactly. So this he might be more heady than we think. Right. I mean, if he's a well-read man, then far be it from us to to you know be this critical of him. And I don't I don't know if you're familiar with Lemony Snicket's line of work, but well-read uh, people would be very very intimately familiar with it. Ah, uh, yeah. See, I don't even know about Lemony. Is it him? Her? Um, it's 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 a male author. Um, not to yeah, ass- yeah. not to you know tread right on their assume. yeah. Um, but that's yeah, my impression. So I'm unfamiliar with it, and I'm I'm not very well read myself. So you know, he must be this tracks. kind of you know in in the upper echelons mm, mm. of 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 you know philosophical thought. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where, um. Your first reading of this catchphrase is like, oh my god, it's so cheesy. And then once you put the pieces together, a newfound respect really um, starts to emerge. Like, oh, he's read, wow. he's read Lemony Snicket. Oh, man, that's... Right, right. It kind of makes me want to go watch his series just to see, well, yeah. see the types of situations. Because knowing what would be described as Lemony, you know, it those are very, very interesting scenarios that he must be getting himself into on this YouTube cooking show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what what would be what would be described as lemony? Um, so I would say that anything that deals with a an uncertainty of reality, it's kind of like a like a, a gaslighting thing. But instead of somebody else gaslighting you, it's it's more of um, self driven where somebody's idea of their own reality starts to break down in more subtle less obvious ways um Mm. to the and things that i would describe as lemony often involve a lot of theory crafting on the part of the reader to ascertain exactly where these breakdowns are happening because when it's not involving somebody else gaslighting a character that are more obvious, okay, this person's lying about this, that, and the other thing. Um, it, it's a lot less clear of what is supposed to be the rub in this case. So, okay. Mm, to, to describe something as lemony and to accurately suss out lemony situations, one must uh, have a very, very good um, and clear grasp of the character, their environment, and their motivations so very active reading and a lot of like i said theory crafting 
So if you like, right. if you like and theory crafting, is of course well, extremely it, important, right? And if you like to have this active participation in uh, the the media and the stories that you consume, lemony esque mm-hmm. stories are for you, I think. So to bring this back to TNG, would you say, for example, Frame of Mind? Yes. Lemony-esque? Yes, I would. There's not okay. a lot of TNG episodes that I that are that would accurately be described as Lemony, but that's certainly one of them. And it kind of tracks where the longer, for example, our discussions are on an episode, the more likely it is to be Lemony. That's not 100% mm-hmm. correlated, but there is a slight correlation there. I see. Well, you know, we should keep a lookout for for lemony situations. Yes. In in Trek going forward, and I think I do have a, a new appreciation for um for this this actor Leo Damian. Mm-hmm. Um, g- good job, Leo. Um, I'm I'm sufficiently inspired, and I, I think I will be watching his cooking show. Should we give him a cut of the profits for our so lemony T-shirt? <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I I agree. He can earn them if he really wants them. Yeah. All right, so that's going to be a wrap on our episode, Hard as a Whisper. Uh, join us next week where we talk about the next episode of Star Trek Next Generation, whatever it is or is not. And uh, until then, everybody, I implore you to search deep, deep, deep within yourself. Find your happy place. Stay there, and as always, stay ready. The troublesome little man child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. beginning, 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 beginning.